Welcome to Trail Manners, the podcast so dedicated to mountain trails and running that they broadcast out of a 78 Volkswagen bus in the mountains. Who does that? Eric and Joel are your hosts and will bring you the trail life as you may have not heard it before. You hear about everything from gear reviews, nutrition to keep you upright and moving forward, and they'll even bring guests into the bus for conversations that you won't hear anywhere else. It's time for some running adventures on a higher elevation. The old 78 Volkswagen bus is fired up and headed to the mountains. Here are your hosts for Trail Manners, proudly representing the 801 with their passion and love for the trails, Eric Manning and Joel Hatch. Welcome to the Trail Manners Podcast, episode number 30. Today, we're going to be talking with Mr. Eric Johnson. So if this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Trail Manners Podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at trailmanners.com. Come back often, and please feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trail Manners. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get after it. All right, welcome back to the Trail Manners podcast. I can't say we have a special guest with us today because Joel always ribs me on that, but we have yeah. an awesome guest with us today. That's so I'm with, I'm with Joel. We're sitting here at Mount Ogden Park in beautiful Ogden, Utah. Trails, mountains, green all around us. Uh, and Joel, why don't you bring in our guest today? All right, so we have like one of the OGs, right? Big, one of the original time. guys in the ultra running world. We have Eric Johnson with us. Um, Eric has been doing ultra since at least 92 um ran wasatch for the first time in 1992 uh easily the hardest 100 at the time um yes what was western states was around vermont was around old dominion was around but nothing like uh the old wasatch here so he's been around he's done what over 74 races oh easily probably over yeah. 100 that's ultra sign up doesn't keep track back then <laughs> yeah, i don't right. think kind of some of those <laughs> <laughs> he's done some what i would consider uh, graduate level runs, ran up in the Arctic a couple times, <laughs> yeah. has an affinity for that. So, um, yeah, with us today, like Eric says in the past, we have, you know, super special guy with us, Eric Johnson. Thanks for joining us. How you doing? Good. Thank you. Awesome. So, like we mentioned, you did your very first 100 in 1992. I did. I signed up for Wasatch in June yeah. Just after Memorial Day. Isn't that crazy that you were able to do that? Now you got to go through that whole process of getting in the lottery. You don't have to do it. I mean, you're, no. you're grandfathered in, obviously. But that that's pretty cool that we've come that far. But thinking back on that, that's awesome that you were able to do that then. Oh, I'm yeah. just going to jump in this. There was, uh, I believe, 120, maybe 125 people that entered that year. Yeah. And I believe there was about 87 that finished. I think I was 85th. <laughs> that was really a painful 35 hours. <laughs> that's that's still impressive. Uh, you know, leading up to that, had you been like doing marathons and stuff like that? I had done my first marathon was in 1990, which was St. George. And then I did St. George again in '91. I had done LA Marathon once, so I had done three marathons. And then went from three marathons straight to Wasatch. I wouldn't recommend it. It's, right. It's so what, kind of painful. Yeah, right. So <laughs> what compelled you to do that? I mean, well, what was the driving force to be like, oh, I'm just going to go out and do this 100-miler because it sounds cool? Or was there something else? Well, my fiancé at the time, her brother had tried Wasatch twice before and had 
bailed. Gotcha. So he had signed up, and he had another friend that had signed up, and there was another guy, uh, Brian Stromberg in Ogden, that had tried it a couple times and had uh, was unsuccessful. Right. And so he said, hey, you're a strong hiker. You kind of dab a little bit in the running. <laughs> There's this cool race. I'm like, okay. Well, so I signed up in June, and uh, it was it was initiation by significant fire yeah <laughs> no internet no way to really disseminate information right so it was all trial and error and suffering yeah but before we started the interview we were talking a little bit about just you know what you actually did back in the day as far as you know learning and the gear you used or the gear you didn't use so talk a little bit about that so especially like the headlamp so well, that, that, I thought that was pretty that interesting. Was awesome. Yeah, the headlamp. I had this old green kind of army green headlamp. I think it took like four AA batteries. I bought it at Rec Outlet there in Salt Lake off of, you know, what is it, State Street and 30th or something. Right. It was just a piece of junk. Right. I, I had to carry an extra bulb. I had to carry extra <laughs> batteries. It flopped around. How so much did it weigh? I don't even. Oh, Good it, 10, it, 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 I got like neck cramps, <laughs> and you know, and so I, I kind of graduated from that to a like a mag light. Yeah. I, I think there was one guy in '93 that showed up at Wasatch with a like big bird flashlight. <laughs> he didn't have a headlamp. He, I think he was pretty desperate. But uh, I just had like this little mag light that was like two double A batteries. You yeah. know, no trail gaiters, no trail running shoes. I didn't even know you could wear two pair of socks to prevent blisters. <laughs> I showed up in these tiny, ultra-thin Nike socks. Yeah. And it was horrible. I had fun, but it was it was, it was just one of those experiences that you'd rather not repeat. Right. But, uh, yeah, the headlamp, uh, yeah, those things were, were, were dinosaurs. It was so nice when Petzl came out with something that was a little more um, user-friendly, especially, you know, the, um, the, the, that headlamp from Rec Outlet. You know, it had those big AA batteries, those alkalines. You had to carry an extra bulb. Right. And I think the batteries lasted maybe four hours. Oh, my goodness. So you're constantly Plenty having to carry batteries, right. change batteries, worry about if the bulb was going to burn out. Right. And it just flopped. It was just, it was almost easier to hold it. Right. Carry it. And yeah. Carry your carry your headlamp. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So was that was that the type of headlamp that went around your head and had that middle strap? No, to it? no. Just no. It was more like a head. It was like a big weight on a headband. Okay. Like John McEnroe <laughs> would wear. Oh, nice, nice. description. Yeah. Those are sweet. Like literally, like a, a, a sweat you got some headband. Points for getting John McEnroe in the conversation. With, with this this awkward, clumsy, klutzy pack of batteries in this it was like something you'd use in a coal mine yeah. in west virginia totally. super awkward right yeah they're so, the ones now are so nice oh they are so in 1992 shoe wise i'm sure there were plenty of trail options you had like the the converse chuck taylor high top version you know yeah i had i had a pair of nike air max which by the way i still have those insoles wow those original insoles from yeah. 1992. From 1992. And I wear them on occasion just for nostalgia. <laughs> just to just to remind myself of kind of where I was yeah. and where I am now. I mean, I was 26 then, 50 now. So it, it feels good to pull those bad boys out and right. just put them in your shoes just for nostalgia. Wow. 
So, so what other kind of big changes? I mean, there's so much that's changed since 92, but tell us what you did for, like, did you carry water, a canteen? Like, can't, fires a water bottle? Well, actually, I bought a... I bought a <laughs> Camel train. I bought a... I had a specialized fanny pack uh, that I got from Bingham Cyclery here in Ogden, and Ultimate Direction was just coming out yeah. then. Oh, wow. And But I had a specialized fanny pack with uh you know water bottles that n- always leaked <laughs> like always leaked it was a horror always leaked um but um yeah just an awkward fanny pack the one stuff we have now is just so much better so what'd you guys do for food then yeah mres i mean we got it's pretty much the same thing now yeah. peanut just butter and jellies pe- yeah peanut butter jelly potato chips yeah yeah anything edible you know no goose yeah Back then, no, there wasn't. No, no goose, no fancy like shot blocks. Yeah, which is just like expensive sugar. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> it's conveniently <laughs> the carry that yeah, sugar. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, but nothing, nothing like that at all. It was just eat whatever your stomach can handle. Right. Coke and you know the standard normal junk food. Right. So as much as things have changed, some things haven't, which is kind of nice to see. Right. That that suffering is still there. You know. Oh yeah, gotta love that. Right, it's it's still there. So you you had like from ninety two to what two thousand two. So you had about a ten year break. To uh, two thousand one, I signed up for Squaw Peak, literally about a week before <laughs> the Squaw Peak fifty. Right. So yep. I took nine years off between ninety two <laughs> and two thousand one. Got into mountaineering, climbing. Yeah. Did some things there. So did you? So let's back up and talk a little bit about that climbing, because I think you know we got some fans of the climbing world. So what'd you do? Anything like say uh, significant? Uh, no, not. I mean, you know, I spend as much time in the Tetons as possible. Right. Um, multiple routes on the Grand. Yeah. Uh, of course, y- y- Wind Rivers. I spent absolutely as much time as possible. Yeah. In the Wind Rivers. Um, did a trip, three-week trip on McKinley in May of 96. In fact, we were at the 14,000-foot base camp right. when the tragedy on Everest came oh. over NPR. Right. Oh, wow. And I believe that was like maybe May 10th, May 11th. Right. And that was bizarre. I'm sure. Because it just put this air of this dampness, this emotional dampness over everything. Um, so I was there, didn't summit, um, got to almost Denali Pass, and it just, the weather was not cooperating. Right. Um, and of course, I mean, I was married then, and, you know, starting a family. Yeah. Can't take that risk. Yeah, so, but in 2001, I got back in, and, uh, been doing as many races as possible since 2001. That's really impressive. So what have been some of your favorite races, like ones that you look back and say that was that was not just because of maybe a time, but maybe location, trail, scenery, how it's run? What, do you, what have you done? Favorite races, most memorable? I have a prejudice for Arctic Ultras. <laughs> uh, but that's, cons- is that relatively new? Uh, yeah, it is. Yes. Uh, you know, Arrowhead 135, um, Susitna 100, done Susitna 100 a couple times. First year I did Susitna 100 was in 2004. Then I went back in 2005. Then I've done Arrowhead 135 four times. Uh, and then I did, uh, I did a Rod Trail Invitational 350 in 2006. That's 350 miles, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so what I, I really so I, I I I'm in love with the Iditarod Trail. Um, 
I have a special place for Wasatch. I finished it 11 times, and I'm happy to have, you know, 11 for 11. Right. Wow, that's, that's um, impressive. The bear, the bear, just because I, I, I grew up in Logan, spent a lot of time in Logan. Well, I, I spent, tw- I lived in Logan for 20 years. Right. Went to Logan High, graduated from Utah State. So the bear, Logan to Bear Lake, right. is special. Um, I bailed out at mile, what, 75? I think I was just feeling sorry for myself. It had been raining and snowing and was it 2007? Oh, yeah. So I kind of bailed. I, I hate taking that ride of shame. Sure. Back to the start. Yeah. Or wherever you have to go. That's like the whole worst feeling. <laughs> A lot yeah. goes through your mind on that drive. Yeah. Could have done yeah. this. I can't believe this. Yourself. Regret. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that'll, that'll linger. Yeah. So how did you get into the art? I mean, we're going to touch on a little bit later in the show but how did you get into the arctic stuff i mean was that coming from your climbing background a little bit kind of mixing the marriage and the two together or how did that come about well i've never done well in heat amen to that i (laughs) maybe i'm in the wrong area i I don't particularly perform well in the heat so but yet you've done wasatch 11 times (laughs) wasatch is not exactly cold no it's not um yeah, and I I think what was the really, really bad year of Wasatch? That would have been 2004. It was so, so hot. Yeah. Coming out of Lambs Canyon. Uh, not Lambs Canyon, uh, Big Mountain. Or mm-hmm. uh, not Big Mountain. Uh, what is that? Yeah, Big Mountain, mile 39, that aid station yeah. from there over to yeah. Alexander Springs. Yeah. It's the one of the worst moments ever in m- my memory. Of, really? Oh, yeah. I was laying in the grass, puking, <laughs> throwing up. Tom Remke stopped, and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, um, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not okay. And then did Tom laugh at you and keep going I, like he normally I, does? I, I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like one of those retor- one of those questions like, are you okay? It's like, well, I'm in the leaves. Right. Yeah. I'm, I've got vomit, vomit. goo. <laughs> dripping out of my nose. <laughs> I look like shit. Yep. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, I'm not good, but yep. thanks for asking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. See you later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I don't do well in the heat. Um, so I had a subscription to Ultra Running, and I saw uh, an advertisement for this who's sitting 100 mm. in Alaska, and I'm like, I got to sign up for this. This looks cool. Right. This looks like, yeah, I'm, I'm onto this. So I signed up uh, and made my own homemade sled out mm. of, like, a kitty sled I got at right. Walmart and a harness. And, uh, there, you know, there's no pacers, no right. drop bags. That was intriguing. Right. And I think I finished in, like, 28 hours, 28 and a half hours or something. Wow. And this is all just on foot travel? On foot travel, not, yeah. On not skis, not, not skis, snowshoes? It's, no, it's straight foot. Okay. And I believe there were kind of unofficially about six places where you could get water or maybe something to eat. Okay. Um, no drop bags, so you had to carry everything. Right. And they had In between, requ- they, they had, had to required carry gear. Right. And did that and loved it. Just loved. Loved the solitude. Loved the cold. Loved the snow. Loved the challenge. And signed up again in 2005. Right. And I was back, and then I... Ran into a guy who said, hey, you know, they've got this 350 thing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. So I signed up for that. <laughs> and it was more of the same kind of philosophy, more self-sufficient. Right. Um, and just, it was like love at first sight. Loved, loved everything about it. The people were super cool. Just being out there for that many miles. 
it, it was love. I, I just that I love that race. What Everything was the, about it. What was the time frame on that one, the three fifty your first time? I believe it was about seven days, fifteen hours. Wow. And you it's know, just and pretty you, much solo other than maybe yeah, another. You get, you get you, two drop bags. You'd get a drop bag at mile one thirty and then a drop bag at mile two hundred. So we put no those more drop than bags. ten pounds. Well No more than ten pounds. No, yeah, it's <laughs> ten pound limit. Wow. Per bag. Per bag. Otherwise, you have to carry everything. And it was only expendable items. Fuel for a stove, yeah. batteries for a headlamp, food, I guess vitamins, supplements, things that, that you <laughs> utilize, gotcha. that, that you expend. Right. So, you know, you can't put extra socks. That's wow. considered survival gear. So <laughs> you had to carry all of that. No extra shoes. Uh, so all of that you had to carry from the start in a sled. Right. So... There's so many questions. I know, right? It's like so how do you prepare for this, right? So what's the time frame that, you, that you're using to prepare for this? Is it three months? Is it six months? I mean, what, well, what's, your, what's your gear? Dude, what's your gear look like for this? We okay, need a so, this. okay, so let me think about this. So in 2005, I did Wasatch, and then it was the inaugural year of the Grand Teton oh, yeah. races out of yeah. Riggs. Yep. Uh, so I did Wasatch, then I did the Grand Teton, and then three weeks later, I did this thing called the, well, I call it, um, I remember growing uh, living in Logan, Dana Miller. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who's Mud and Guts. Guts. Miller, yeah. yeah. He, I love that guy. Uh, he, I, he had done, like, a double Grand Canyon, and I'm like, ooh, double, what about a triple? So I went down and did a triple crossing. I call it triple double just because it sounded <laughs> triple interesting. Double. Yeah, you know, basketball, whatever. It just rang well. So I did the triple double t- uh, Grand Canyon thing. Did it solo, no pacers, nothing. Just drove down, uh, jumped did in it, the jumped and <laughs> drove home. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, from that, I signed up for the ITI 350 in December, and then I just go up to Monte Cristo two or three nights a week and just pull a sled and run. <laughs> Just go out, grab a sled, uh, chuck some old rocks and wade into yeah. it. And, but I mean, that uh, sounds super simple. But there's got to be like more planning. It's really right? complicated. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you've got to have all your gear dialed. Yeah. So what? You, what you kind of gear have. are you taking? Just give us a snippet because I'm sure there's um, way too much. We don't have enough time to talk about it all. But yeah, and I'd love to come back and talk more about that. But it's it's um, the key is is you've got to ventilate. You've okay. got to be able to have something. That's thin. That has zippers that you can ventilate. So if you start to sweat, we can move that off quick, so you don't yeah, get cold. You can either you can either roll your sleeves up or unzip it right. to ventilate to control moisture. That's a big problem. Right. If it's in regular races, it's not a problem. But if it's minus thirty, right, or minus forty, that sounds pretty cold. Or <laughs> you know, worse, moisture is a big, big problem. You're sunk. Right. You've got to really stay, try to stay dry. Damp is unavoidable, but you can't get wet. Right. So clothing, um, yeah, that's always a really super difficult question. But main thing is zippers and ventilation. And so you have backup of all that stuff on your sled then? Yes. Do you have a backup to your backup? No. Because of weight and what you want to carry. Okay. Right. Look, I'm thinking of this, and I'm like, okay, I run a 50-mile race. I'm looking at, you know— 
elevation, where the aid stations are, calories per hour. And, yeah. you know, you're talking about that's too much you know, work. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is what you're doing here. It's like, okay, I'm out there for seven days, six days, five days. I'm, it's just the planning of that yeah, with so your gear. You like, okay, how much fuel am I going to expend and how many calories? Oh, do I, I never think about that. You just grab some stuff and, and get after it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. At least for that race, the first checkpoint is until mile 55. So you're from, you know, start to 55 on your own for basically a day, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the race started at 2 p.m., which I've always wondered. I think that's just to make you, I don't know. It's just, anyway, it starts at 2 p.m. And then by the time you get to the first checkpoint, it's probably 6 a.m. Wow. So you're on your feet 16 hours before roughly even. before you get to the first place to, you know, and then you get some, you know, like I think that year I had three grilled cheese sandwiches, two bowls of soup, couple cups of coffee, juice, milk, like you're famished. Like you just yeah. eat so much, as much as possible. Whatever they it put didn't in just front go someplace. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what are you eating in between checkpoints normally? Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Ensure. Okay. The, the high calorie 350 stuff. Right. And I have sewn into my pockets on my undershirt two places I can put two cans or two bottles. So if it freezes, it thaws pretty fast. Right. And um, so I, I try to take as much of that as possible. So when you get to these checkpoints, are you taking a quick nap at that point? Well, at least for the ITI 350, I wouldn't sleep there. Usually I would sleep first at mile 95. And is that a checkpoint or is that it's a checkpoint out in the course? Yeah. So do they have a place kind of for you to step to the side and take yeah, a little it's nap? Yeah, it's called a roadhouse, which is just a small cabin. Right. Basically, you sleep on the floor, you get a bed, sleep wherever you can. Right. So in your sled, do you have like a bivy sack, a sleeping bag, something like that to uh, for those sleeping purposes? Bag, sleeping bag, down jacket, yeah. You know, more just emergency. I don't like bivying on the trail. It's way too much work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Not just much better to sleep someplace that's covered. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, the next one, I mean, you, you realistically, I mean, around here in the Ogden area, I mean, Amy Donaldson did a great article in the Deseret News, but you've done the 1,000-mile Iditarod course. I did. I finished that uh, March 25th, I believe, was uh, when that, that was Friday. That took 25 days. So what that is is essentially the Iditarod Trail that starts just outside of Anchorage in south-central Alaska and heads northwest toward the Bering Sea. So it's the, basically the full Iditarod Trail. So the I, the the 350 was the first is the first 350 of the thousand. Right. So I finished the first 350 race, 2006, 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, wow. 2013. Uh, I bailed out in 2007. 2007 was just a really bad year. Uh, bailed out at mile 200. I <laughs> got into some knee deep, what's called overflow, um, uh, on the Tatina River about uh, 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, you're by yourself, you, you know, and I'm wading through essentially a Slurpee, oh. a really wet Slurpee wow. knee-deep. And that's just really bad yeah. at sub-zero temperatures when it's dark and you're by yourself. And you're in, tennis, you know, Solomon running shoes, trail shoes. That nothing good happens no. <laughs> There's no in good those situations. No, no, it's just all bad. So, uh, anyway, I ended up bailing then and then decided that I really, really wanted to do the thousand. I really wanted to do the full, the full trail. So we started 
February 28th at 2 p.m., and I finished about 9.30 Friday, March 25th. That was an absolute jewel. Wow. I'm telling you, that race is, it's the race. I, I, I've, I've said that to people. I mean, I have friends in Salt Lake that are ultra runners. And I'm like, this is the race. This is the race. And do they like, just give you that look like, no, you're just you're crazy. Insane. Yeah. Well, kind of like I'm looking at you right now. Yeah, I don't mean Joel. They, they got her job. What? And I'll tell you why. This, And I feel pretty strong about this, is that and we live in a really, really over-regulated world well, of yeah. rules and stuff. Sure. And people whining about, oh, the checkpoint. They think, I, I got to go five miles before there's an aid station? Yeah. What? Yeah. Five miles? <laughs> what? <laughs> Get real. Yeah. I mean, you're missing the point. Um, so this is why. Is that is there's no required gear. No required <laughs> gear. You can show up with anything you Are want. Are you serious? I'm being wow. dead serious. So like, does you sit in a 100, they check your gear. They right. check your sleeping bag. Is it minus 20? Do you have, you know, a headlamp? Yeah. Do you have a, a backup headlamp? Do you have, yeah. right. Do you have something that holds water? Do you have a stove? Do you have fuel? Do you know how to use it? Do you have all right. of these things? So Arrowhead, they check your gear. Um, the Yukon Arctic Ultra. I think they do everything but take you to the finish. <laughs> it's so overregulated. <laughs> like they have people checking on you. Right. Like if I need to be checked on, maybe I shouldn't be here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. So I agree. So you know the Arrowhead One Thirty Five. They check your gear, and I get that. That only has two aid stations. Ooh. Well, I guess you could argue three. Yeah. But really, two that are legit. Right. Mile thirty five, seventy five, and then a little tent at mile one hundred. Right. So all these other Arctic Ultra races, they have somebody checking your gear, and they have required gear. They make you, they make those decisions for, for you, you. Right. What to carry, and that deletes out a lot of the stress and anxiety of the race because sure. someone's making those tough decisions for you. If someone's making those hard decisions for you, it it it's it's easy, but it's also less rewarding. Okay. So if so one they don't check your gear. They you carry what you want. They don't tell you when you can rest and when you should travel. Right. If it's minus 60 wind chill, you want to go? Go ahead. Right. <laughs> go ahead. They probably have a pretty strong waiver to sign. I think they do. Yeah. yeah, but they but they also weed people out really really well. They don't want yeah. a high maintenance kind of athlete they want somebody who's there for all the right reasons right who is in love with the sport and adheres to that kind of philosophy and is willing to take those risks so this is almost like barkley you know for the arctic in a way yeah right? and, 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 it's and it's not close, necessarily right? always marked either yeah yeah so that's, that's the next oh. thing is <laughs> so how do you find your way there? i mean you're in <laughs> snow well, yeah, right, yeah i mean yeah, snow and ice White i mean out. it's all froze yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah yeah um so it's you kind of just find your way. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it was th okay. This is a really classic story. In two thousand, two thousand, what year would that have been? That would have been two thousand seven. I remember I was there. Uh, I was going up the Susitna River, and uh, Diane Van Dierden, yep. I believe that's her oh, name. Yeah. She was yep. a North Face sponsored athlete, and Cami. I can't remember who she was with. Simic? Yeah. Possibly. Probably North Face too. Right? Yeah. And they were following me up the Susitna River. 
and they had kind of an entourage of North Face people doing their thing. And I remember we were going up, and I was taking a shortcut. Well, I knew it was a shortcut because it could save it could save time. Because they don't really care how you get from point A to point B as long as you get from point A to point B. Oh, okay. So you can kind of go any way you want, but right. there's not really that many options. Gotcha. But I knew if I faded left on the river, I would cut out the corner. So I remember they were following me, and they're like, dude, um, you're, you're going the wrong way. I'm like, no, I'm not. I've, I've been here, like, couple times right and so i'm like well just get your map out it's it's you'll see on your map and they're like well we don't have a map I'm like, oh, you don't have a map gosh. you don't have a map <laughs> are you kidding no map because i was just totally screwing with them because <laughs> i could yeah. right and it's like 3 a.m or i don't know what midnight or something i don't know you know so there's you just kind of go where you want Right. But there's not that many options again. So, you know, I remember that that's that the year before that, I remember coming to a fork and I'm like, oh, I'm not really sure where to go. Do I go right? Do I go left? And I'm like, yeah, I think I kind of go right. So I go right and I get maybe a quarter of a mile and I hear the hum of a snow machine. So I'm like, maybe I should ask them. So I come turn around and sprint hauling ass back to that fork and there's like some partially drunk native guy <laughs> on a snow machine. And I'm like, how do you get to Nikolai? And he's like, what? I'm like, how do you get to Nikolai? He's like, not that way. So he's pointing the way that you were at. I the way, yeah. He's like, he, you know, he's just reeked with alcohol. And this was like 10 a.m. Like, who's drunk <laughs> at 10 a.m. on a snowmobile? Well, it's yeah. called Native Alaskan, yeah. is what it's called. So, and he offered me a he pulled his. He stopped. And he pulled his seat up, and he's like, "Do you have? He has some brandy." I'm like, Dude, "I don't really want any of that. I'm I'm good." You know, he was ready to party. <laughs> brandy and walrus jerky, ready you know? to go. So, <laughs> so he's like, "You go that way." So I took off that way, and I, I, you know, I got to where I needed to go. But if that's if that really gets under your skin, then those kind of races are not good for you. So right. the people that need all the markers between mile two and seven and things like that, they may want to. <laughs> Stay away from this stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's to me, you have to love being out there, and you have to just love the adventure. That's, to me, the big thing about ultra running is just the adventure and just the, the process of learning and engaging the trail. Right. And just accepting what you get and be happy. And that's at any distance, really. At any yeah. distance. I don't yeah. care if it's a 50K. It doesn't matter. The, the most important thing is you've got to be having fun. You've got to be having fun. Above and beyond everything else, you've got to love the adventure, and you've got to love, and you've got to enjoy it. You've just got to love it. And you got you got to also remember, as much as you're saying, have fun, enjoy it, there's going to come those times when mentally oh, yeah. you're not enjoying it, you're suffering, but you it's hate part it. of the experience. Right, right, you hate it. But the thing is, 80 to 90% of those types of issues or those types of races are fun. It's the 10 to 20% That'll get you. Yeah. But the problem is, is you have to pay the price. You have to pay out the debt, the 10 to 20% to get the 80 to 90. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's the thing. You know, and who was it? Um, Famous British mountaineer. His definition of adventure was getting off the treadmill of the obvious. So I like like it. Yeah. It fits. It, it, that works for me. So that's one of the intriguing things and why I think that race is such a 
ama- an amazing experience for the competitors. Well, and, and when you say competitors, if I remember right, there were six people that attempted this race and five finished, right? Is five, that right? Five started. Five started, okay. Five started uh, the 1,000 on foot, and four of us finished. Wow. Peter Ripmaster, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, um, decided that he'd, it wasn't his year. Yeah. At mile 500. <laughs> what? <laughs> mile 500. <laughs> That's yeah. unreal to yeah. hear yeah. that, yeah. right? Yeah. It, uh, I think we'd bivvied, we'd slept just off the trail at about mile 440. And we'd gotten up, and we were both really groggy. And we thought, yeah, we got about a 60-mile day. And uh, uh, long story short, he, he just he didn't have his head in the game. He, did, mm. he just wasn't there. Right. So he gets the 500, and he's like, I think I'm really done. So you, it's like a pretty, I would imagine, a kind of a small community, though, the people that really do this small. type of thing to where really you, you're very, you know these people extremely well, right? Well, I had I mean, never met Peter. I just ran into him on the trail, and we became just instant, instant friends. Well, you got to imagine you guys have so much. I mean, that's a pretty small niche of having something in common with somebody. Yeah. That's But you're all than, kind of dysfunctional at heart. Yeah. Really? Well, yeah, but it, so it works. <laughs> yeah, There's true. a little bit of dysfunction. I think that yeah. the, 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 the the distance between brilliance and stupidity is pretty tight. It's pretty small at times. Well, I'm still Hopefully you stay more on the brilliant side, side and stay out of the idiot. <laughs> right. But it's inevitable you're going to end up kind of an idiot at times. So to get to that point, to the idea, Rod, you're doing the, I mean, to get, I guess you're, you know, no lack of a better word, your feet wet. You want to do the hundred, the Susitna and the Yeah, you got to do, yeah, to it's get, baby steps. You yeah, got to, you right. know, it's, it's, it's a gradual process of learning and knowing what you can do nutrition-wise and mentally kind of going step to step right? as far as uh, checkpoints, gear, the other thing is you could what if yourself crazy in those yeah. kind of races because you don't have a crew. You don't have a pacer. You don't have um, the things that you, all of the things that you might want. If you're like, well, I might need this. Yeah. So you put it in your sled. You might need this. Put that. Well, we call it the rookie bulge. <laughs> As you can tell <laughs> who the new guys are, because right. Right? they're packing everything. <laughs> they have all of the what ifs in their sled. Right. Gotcha. And, you, and, and they're usually a little on, not always arrogant, but they just like, dude, you need to turn it down a notch. Right. Because you're going to get eaten up here. Like, literally. Literally. You're going to be in trouble. Yeah. And I, there was a guy in 2010, I can't remember his name, I think he was in Colorado. But he was, we were, all the veterans were just looking at each other going, the guy's in trouble. And, and he, he got into some, some water, some, yeah. some overflow on one of the rivers because he wasn't paying attention. And um, uh, almost bailed at mile like 13. Oh, my goodness. But people have a tendency in those races to pack their insecurities. So you can always tell who the rookies are. Because you have everything that you might need, but the issue is, what do you really need? Really, and and speaking of, so if you're in one of those, do you have to carry like a sat phone or, or some type no, of extraction? No, no, device? there's no required gear. No, 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 not for the wow. 
and I don't want a sat phone. You're, you're having a hard time with that. Well, I'm just no, trying to think I don't of, want a sat like phone. Like when you say, you know, a mile 500, he bailed or, or something like that. I just didn't know if there was some type of magic, you know, the button that the No, there's the no people, magic safe button. Get up. Yeah. No. So you're, you can, I, I, I think if people have to emotionally have those, they probably shouldn't do it. True. So what if you get into a place, you're way in between these checkpoints and you like this gentleman at mile 13 gets super wet and it's 60 degrees. I mean, at that point, you're just trying to keep yourself warm on your own to survive, right? Figure it out, dude. Wow, that's insane. That's awesome. You know, you, it's <laughs> probably a good idea to, you know, have a pair of, uh, an extra pair of shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And so are these snowmobile trails that you guys yeah, are on? Yeah, it's basically a semi-packed snowmobile okay, trail. Okay, that's what I was going to say. And, and the other be... thing about the 1,000 is beyond 350, there are no checkpoints. Uh-huh. You're on your own. 750 you, miles of just get it. Wait, done. so you're on your own carrying your own stuff for yeah, 20 days? Yeah. You so get, you, oh, I how, forgot. The, the race does give you a drop bag okay, at mile yeah, yeah. like 450. Oh. But no more than 10 oh. pounds. Oh. Okay. No, are and you serious? Gonna, <laughs> no more than 10 pounds. You're messing with me, dude. dude. I'm not. How much is your sled weigh? I think it was 40 to 50 pounds. Oh, my gosh. And you're just tugging that along. Uh-huh. And most of that is food. Um, no, nah, I don't really... Well, what are you eating down there if it's not mostly food? Are you just, like, eating the rookies when they yeah, die? Know, right? Well, <laughs> going through their sled? Well, uh, the people who drop out of the 1,000, they still have their drop bag. Right. So it's all fair game. Oh, oh so you've got to awesome. get there first. To get well, the good to get the good, yeah, yeah, to get yeah, the good yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can kind of rummage through their stuff. and You can and leave a little note and say, I got it, sucker. <laughs> if you, yeah. But yeah. people kind of know who's where. And, right. Yeah. That's so, awesome. you know, but th- th- at that point, you're kind of just going from village to village. Like on the Yukon. You oh, know, so you can you stop in the village to get food? Yeah, if, if the store's open. Yeah. Or if they have a store. Yeah. Swipe your American Express. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, like the first route, the first uh, village on the Yukon on the northern route is at mile 500 is Ruby, and there's 130 people. Right. So I, I don't even know if they had a store. Right. They had a bed and breakfast because I, I made reservations before, <laughs> which basically was some dude's house. <laughs> It's some dude's house. Are you serious? Like I'm on the course, you're like, oh, that's right. There's a B and B here that I'm gonna spend the night in. Uh huh. Yeah. I made reservations. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. So <laughs> how how does that jive with your mentality of oh, I want to be out there, I want to do it on my own? But then you got this well, B and B, man. Well, it's a, it, it's not really a B. I mean, it's a guy's house that he kicks his five year old out of his ni- Ninja Turtle bedroom, yeah. and you sleep in Ninja Turtle sheets. That's drops you down a well. That's a lot well. better than sleeping at sixty it's, below, right? It's way better. It's way better than sleeping at 10 below. But I literally get into Ruby at about 3 a.m., and I'm looking for this dude's house. And he said, well, it's a yellow house. No, it's a green house down on the river. Well, all the houses are on the river. But he doesn't have a – pretty much, yes. And they're all kind of green. And it is 3 a.m., and you just did 60 miles. And you're kind of tired. And you're knocking on everybody's door. Well, there was a church. There was a Bible church that was open because the Iditarod Sled Dog Race was going on at the same time. So my phone had died, so I sneak in this Bible church. It's basically a log cabin that's 100 years old, and there's a bunch of old guys snoring with sleep apnea in there. <laughs> basically is what it is. So I call him. I'm like, I can't find your house. He's like, well, where are you at? I'm like, I'm at the church. He's like, well, go down the hill. Go to this guy's pickup. It's probably a white pickup <laughs> parked there. Turn right. Go around the back of the house and go in the middle door. <laughs> So, 
you're like, I just did 60 miles. Can you like give me a little more? Yeah, but it literally took me like 45 minutes to find his place. Because it's not like he has a sign in neon right. red. <laughs> B&B. Yeah. It's just, you know, Ninja Turtle bed. <laughs> <laughs> so I finally find it, and I go in, and I was just, I was trashed. I was That's trashed. That's still amazing. Yeah, and That's so I think I just, I don't know what I had. He didn't make me any, he didn't make me anything. He's not going to offer me anything to eat at 4 a.m. Well, I hope he got a discount then. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I can't remember how much it was. It was worth it. I yeah, well, how much was it? I, I mean, come on, ballpark it. A hundred? Um, I think I had. I think it was like 150. Was it and worth? I tipped him. Was it worth 150? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I had. And I took a shower. Oh. I only I had two showers the whole thousand, so that was a sh- yeah. It was kind of cool. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, I had breakfast. Well, I slept, and then I had breakfast, and then I went back to bed, again, and got up and ate, and then took another nap, <laughs> <laughs> and then packed up and left. And I left his place at 9 p.m. Wow. For a f- roughly 52-mile right. trip down the Yukon. So I stayed there. I got there like at 4 a.m. I left at 9 p.m. So, you know, uh, I think it was about 150 bucks. So, you know, meals, and then I tipped him. Yeah. Every penny was worth it, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. It was Ninja Turtle sheets were. Oh, yeah. Heaven. They were sweet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I know it sounds like foo-foo, you know, no, B&B. I, I, I know. But foo-foo. it's basically <laughs> just a Ninja Turtle bed. Yeah. Which is so nice. But then, you know, I left uh, Ruby at 9 p.m. And I think that night on the Yukon, it was probably 25 below. Oh, man. And I pulled into the Galena, the next village, about 2.30 p.m. So 9 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. the next day. So you go all night, all morning. So what? how many pairs of socks are you wearing? Two. And do you have gaiters that cover the bottom of your shoes, too? Just ankle gaiters. Just, an, just like the ones you're going to wear here? Yeah. Just hiking around. That's it? Exact. Dang, dude. Exact. You got some tough feet, man. My toes are cold right now thinking well, about this. It, it uh... It helps if you like the cold and just do yeah, well in the cold. True. And I've always done really pretty well in the cold. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm wearing Solomon. I think I had XA Comp 5s on, right. which I love those shoes. They're mesh, too. Oh, well, yeah. Why yeah. not? So the breathable. <laughs> you breathable. don't want to get wet wire up there, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And then I had extra shoes. I had the like, XA Comp, yeah. the Gordner. Climb a, sh- climb a shield or whatever right. the version of Gore-Tex was. Gotcha. So when you're, I mean, for most people, when they train for like a 100-mile race, 50-mile race, it's, you know, time on their feet or elevation, you know, which, you know, they can get used to. Or even heat, you know, you always talk sure. to people with Western, oh, I got to get heat acclimated to jump in a Oh, sauna. I get that. How do you get, like, Seriously, I used to this? drive around in the winter with my windows down <laughs> at night. Wow. <laughs> and it still doesn't even like with touch, sandals on touch the cold that you're going to get into no though. but it's a head game yeah and and ultimately does it really do anything physically to acclimate no probably not but it if it helps give you confidence i'll stand on my head for 5 minutes every morning if if it it's, if it's going to increase my confidence level not some bs confidence but if it's really if you really really feel it's going to help you prepare I'm, I'm, I'm on it. It's that mental side it's of it. It's just that mental thing if it, because it, it requires some sense of being engaged and some sense of kind of suffering. And that eventually will translate into a better attitude out on the trail. 
because for my my attitude is for the at least for the Iditarod Trail, like for the 350. If you can suffer through the preparation and the training, that's that's all you need, because the rest is is downhill. It's like the celebration of what you've done, right? Yeah, because uh, you know, a lot of times, it, you know, like for the thousand, I would go up to Monte Cristo, and I'd just do a thirty mile training run. Well, I get off work at say six, and then by the time you get your gear, it's a production just to get up there. You got to yeah. put your pack your sled, get your gear, get your food, get your clothes, drive up there, unpack. By the time you get on the trail, it's eight o'clock. Got to be back to work at eight. <laughs> so you know you do thirty miles takes anything from eight to ten hours depending on trail conditions and how you feel, and then you're back to the car and you go home and sleep for a couple hours, and you go back and then you go to work. So it's that mental it's awake. It's just that on mental grind, and though, and it's that kind of mental grind that helps to get you ready physically and mentally for the race. Because when the race starts, you know you're ready. Like you can lie to your friends, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lie to your spouse, or your girlfriend, or your boyfriend. You can't fake yourself out. Yeah, like you know you're ready, or you know that you're not ready. And when you know that you know you're ready, that's like a, that's just a deeper knowing, a deeper understanding. Doubt, fear, uncertainty all goes out the window because you know you know you're ready. But you also, if you know that you know you're not ready, that's your it's ugly. doomed from day one. You, it's, almost you're in trouble. Yeah, especially, especially that distance. Yeah, especially there. Yeah, because if you decide to bail at mile forty. Well, you got you got 15 miles to the next checkpoint, and it right. could be minus 40, or yeah. it could be minus 60. I mean, I've been in minus 60 windshield. That's and I can't even and fathom you better, that. You better be engaged, and you better love the adventure, right? Because if you don't, it's you probably should do something different. Yeah, you shouldn't yeah. even be there. Yeah, it's well, and you have you have the cold. You've got the you know being wet. I mean, you got all the 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 elements of yeah. the weather. Is there other, I mean, I'm not familiar with the route, but well, you know, I watch, yeah, there well, we go. Cause I know someone's going to ask that or someone's well, thinking okay, that so right now. I seriously have people like, so when you're up there, did you pan for gold? <laughs> no, no, they didn't. Did they you did go fishing? Yeah, dude. They go fishing? Seriously. <laughs> I had somebody like, do you pan for gold? Because they've seen that show on the Discovery Channel. Yeah. 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 Obviously, that's what you're going to do while you I go got up a, there. I got a pan in my sled. Yeah, exactly. I doubles the plate yeah. when I cook. Like, I'm going to squat down and pan because I'm sure I'll be able to stand up really fast. Because there's gold everywhere. <laughs> there's up here. gold everywhere. So, yeah. Seriously. Right uh, do you pan for gold? Do you fish? No, pretty much everything's frozen. Yep. <laughs> like, there's no salmon. There's no halibut. Right. Like, what am I fishing for? Yeah. Ice augers are too heavy to pull. Uh, yeah. They're <laughs> so, no, I don't fish. No, I'm not bringing you home any fish. <laughs> I'm not painting for gold. And they're like, well, what about the bears? That's they're, a question I would have. The they're bear part. sleeping. Okay. And okay. they're like, well, what if they wake up? Well, what if? I mean, well, it's we have not the same problem here. Right? I mean, when yeah, they run into a bear here. Except their Mountain bears are lion. big. They yeah. are big, big and very and, yeah. hungry. So I'm like, well, they're not waking up. Right. I, I, it's possible, but it's, it's highly not unlikely. highly, highly unlikely. You know, they're like, well, what about wolves? Like, well, what about wolves? Well, that's what the rookies are for. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, do you carry a gun? No. <laughs> what? That's just extra weight. I, I'm not. I'm not buying a f titanium 45 because one. <laughs> 
I don't know how to shoot it. I don't have anything against guns. I just don't want to carry it. I don't want to buy it. Right. And I'm going to shoot myself. <laughs> That's, I'm not carrying a gun, you know. Um, so wolves, they have, they're not going to bother. I've seen more wolves in Minnesota in the winter than I've seen in Alaska. Huh. Well, I don't see wolves, but I've seen more wolf tracks right. in Minnesota at the Arrowhead 135 than I've ever seen in Alaska. So what do you think about while you're out there for 20 days? Pretty much on your own. Sometimes, um, well, there's a concept that's called mind wandering. Yeah. It's task unrelated thought. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I kind of somewhat think of, a, of about your, you, you have one foot in hypnosis. Right. And one foot in reality. And you kind of just toggle between right. the two. Um, so sometimes I think about pace, I think about distance, I think about pain, I think about discomfort, I think about, uh, you know, the environment, I think about other races I want to do, I think about successes, failures. Right. You ever get to the checkpoint, you're like, how did I get here? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That happened. That happens a lot. Right? I, I remember in that flow state. And I remember leaving Elam at 11 p.m. at night, and the course just goes offshore onto the Bering Sea for a ways. And the moonlight, it was out. It was beautiful, clear sky. Moon was full. And I remember getting onto the ice, and the trail was really hard, and it was really fast. And the next thing I know, it's 6 a.m. Wow. And I've just been lost in thought. It was like just a beautiful seven hours. I was going right. to say, that's got to be yeah. welcomed. Yeah. And, th- and then I realized what pulled me out of that was um, wind. It started to get really, really windy. And then snapped that, you back into and it. And a I kind of got back into it. Yeah. So, um, so you think a lot. I mean, I think those are things that all ultra runners think about pain, probably. discomfort, yeah. pace, distance, environment. Right. But that's on a different level. I mean, but like it's the same. But it's the same thing, just longer. Right. Exactly. That's the thing. So, do you find that you're you're more fine tuned at doing that now, because you've done the the hundred, the one thirty five, the three fifty, and the thousand? Do you get into that state easier now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're in it right now. Well, <laughs> it's the same kind of idea, and it it, it kind of helps to have maybe a little ADD. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, I, I know what you mean. You're just kind of there, but not there. Sure. Um, so that helps. I think I have a little bit of that, and I think you just have to enjoy, and then just enjoy the moment. Yeah. Just enjoy the scenery. Enjoy what you're doing. Enjoy be, the suffering. And be happy. Yeah. And be, you know, I mean, there's so many people who don't have good health that don't have the ability to be out there. So, for example being out there for the thousand it's like i'm the luckiest guy ever to be here right now right now doing this right is the best ever good bad suffering pain you know every morning you put your shoes on your feet hurt like not a little a lot they right. feel like somebody beating with a bat right like your heels are sore your feet are sore your toes are sore they may visually look Kind of beat up, but there's a whole lot going on underneath. Right. Pain-wise. Does that get better as the race goes on? Do you just adapt to that 
being on your feet for 50 mentally, miles a day? Mentally, you do. Physically, it's just never, just because of the cold, just because of the distance. Because you're slowly just wearing yourself out. Right. Mentally, you're getting stronger, and perhaps some aspects physically you're getting stronger. But I lost 18 pounds wow. in 25 days. Yeah. Um, I think. Did you crave any food? No. Well, no, no. Mm-mm. Did you get home? You're like, I gotta have the biggest steak. Ever. No, <laughs> yeah. no. I think uh, for me, it was just be happy with what you got. Okay. Be happy with what you have food-wise. I would literally eat anything. Like you gave it to almost anything. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. I think that's a good lesson. I think. A lot of our listeners or potential ultra runners really need to take the heart. Is just be happy out there. You Whatever have you got, be, right? You know, well, the other thing is... Whatever you, the aid station has, well, the end of just be happy with that. Stop whining. Don't yeah. whine. At the end of the you day, can't. you put yourself Don't. into that position. You signed up. You wanted right. to be there. So when you're out there, why be miserable? I mean, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable. But not like... I hate it. I don't want to be here. That guy can come and go, but enjoy it while you're out there. The other, th- the you, other you thing that um, that I really, really learned is that a smile and a thank you and just be happy. Like, I don't care how bad you feel. You've got to be happy. Like, I, that's the rule. Right. Like, you just have to smile. Physical action speeds mental acceptance. Right. That's the way it is. So that 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 is absolutely key. That's great advice for anybody. Physical action whether, speeds you know, whatever mental you're acceptance. doing, not even running, not right. even. I mean, ac- I remember activity. how badly I felt at mile seventy five, my first Wasatch, when I walked into the Brighton back then the 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 aid station was at Brighton store. Hmm. And wow. I was uh, it was a mess. But I remember thinking, I've got to be positive. I've got to be smiling. And I was obnoxiously <laughs> enthusiastic. Oh, like, no. what is wrong Somebody with this? Somebody thought guy? I was on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and when I'm at the bear and I'm running around half naked in the middle of the night, it's because I'm having fun. Like, I don't care what other people are thinking. Yeah. I'm, I'm coming in and I'm, I'm having fun. I want to be enthusiastic. And I've been accused of being on drugs. It was like, I think he was on drugs. It's like, No. This Natural. is real, man. Yeah. This is real. You've got to be love. You have to love it. And if you don't, just fake it. Just for a moment. Just for least. a moment in yeah. time. Yeah. And it changes your brain chemistry. And I think ultimately you can change brain function and brain structure by just thinking positive, good, happy thoughts of gratitude and just being super happy with what you've got. It's great. Just being great. You got to be just grateful. And that's with anything, too. I mean, it, it makes a huge difference. I mean, it parents is. here, you know, right? Marriage, I mean, with your kids, job, everything. Yep. Bad boss, yeah. whatever. You still just have to be happy and smile. It makes a difference. Well, and Always. You, and just switching a little bit, because a lot of people ask, you know, there's, you know, we have a, we have actually, I'm a, Curtis Thompson's here. He's uh, listening live at yeah. the park with us and just looking around. So some of us have done 100 milers, while well, all of us here have. And you get people that maybe don't know or are getting into it, and they're like, well, so a marathon's probably nothing for you. You've done 100 miles. Well, they're two different beasts, but I can yeah. I can honestly look at you and say, okay, you've done the Iditarod 1,000, not just the distance, but everything else. So now you do Wasatch or you do the Bear. I'm not going to say is it easy for you, but it's just got to be a completely different game and mindset. Yeah, I mean, it I, is. I mean, because some people say, well, I've done a 50. I can probably do 100. Or I mean, 
doubt in your mind to finish 100 is just almost non-existent. Am I right? I mean, you know you can do it. I wouldn't say doubt. The level of doubt that you have is going to be um, basically uh, the higher your doubt is because you haven't prepared mentally, physically, everything. So as as your preparation, as you learn what you need to prepare physically, mentally, as you know that and as you as you go through that, then your level of confidence rises. As your level of confidence rises, then doubt, uncertainty, fear. I love the, I can't remember where I heard it, but fear, uh, false evidence appearing real. Oh, yeah, I like that. Is oftentimes that's what fear is. It's just false evidence. Right. It's maybe our own insecurities. You know, we perceive it as, as maybe a potential fear, but it's probably not as big of an issue as we think it is. So I always like to think of that fear as false evidence appearing real because that makes sense to me. Right. And the other thing that I think is super important for anyone, whether they're just a beginning uh, ultra runner, uh, is you need small motivational sentences that you can pull out of your head. Right. And you're feeling sorry for yourself. So what's what's your favorite? Uh, I like things like, um, you know, a mind once stretched never regains its original dimensions. Hmm. Wow. That's true. And that's true. It, yep. It's true if you fail, and it's true if you succeed. Because you're not going to be the same. Right. You're going to have a different attitude, a different... It's going to change your, hopefully, your attitude for the better. Right. Your perspective, your work ethic, um, your ability to show gratitude. You know, to people who provide assistance, whether it's at a checkpoint or just in life in general, you've got to be grateful. Right. Always. I mean, and they've even shown that, you know, showing gratitude decreases cortisol levels and stress hormones. But anyway, um, so I think a mind once stretched never regains its original dimensions is, is, is great because, again, that's with failure and with success. Right. I like uh, there's no such thing as stop. Only go. Okay. So just those one-liners, right. whatever is meaningful to that person. Yeah. It could be a one sentence. It could be something like that. It could be one of my favorites is, I can, I will, I must. Right. It's short, and it's to the point, and it's motivational. Right. Like it gets you maybe past that hurdle. Yeah, it's just that slight mental deflection. You know, something right? like, I'm breaking ground where I've never broken ground before. Right. Right here, right now. I'm on it. I got yeah. it. Makes such a big difference. So that versus feeling sorry for yourself? No. It's a completely different... My, uh, it's a completely different, you know, um, emotional experience. If you're trying to... If you're blaming somebody else, if you're blaming the weather, or if you're looking for a scapegoat, it's the issue of just take responsibility mm -hmm. and enjoy it, the adventure. Right. And, you know, look look to yourself before you look to go blaming sure. somebody. But just those powerful thoughts, yeah. they're really motivating. I think that's a good lesson just to have in life in general, like yeah. you said. I it, would it's, agree. It's pretty powerful. Well, so I, I'm not sure about you, but I wanted to change something real quick. Sure. we talked a lot about the Arctic. And I wanted to touch briefly on a local race here. So was it last year or the year before you did Pony Express? 
That would have been 2014. All your stuff. Right? Yes. My I conceived I was actually signed up for the 1000. I did a rod race in 2013, right. 2014. And I just wasn't feeling it. I'm like that's not my heart's not in it. Right. And if your heart's really not in it, if you know that you know your heart's not in it, don't do it. So the Pony just, Express for those of you that that don't know it, it's on the the historical, you know, trail where they ran the mail, right? Yeah. And this race has Kind of a wire station, maybe at like twenty-five ish, something like that, or maybe not even any. I don't know, but I'm it, not has sure. one at, it has one at fifty I, at the turnaround because it's now in the back. Yeah, it's at mile forty right? and mile sixty. Yeah, and you, you you have to have a crew, and the crew has to follow you. Yes, right. That's the traditional way of doing it, and they provide you aid anywhere at that point along the course, but you fashioned. A harness, mm-hmm. and you carried your own water and your own mm-hmm. food. And so, did you have like a little kid's bike trailer? How'd you do that? Yeah, I had decided I wanted to do that f- probably January, February during the winter of 2014. Right. I had this idea to do all the hundreds in Utah. Yeah. And I'm like, it would be really cool to just do the last one 100% self supported. Right. So, I had a kitty bike trailer that I modified to just to pull. Yeah. And I used the same fanny pack as I used to pull my sleds in Alaska. Is that similar to like a climbing harness? What's that like? It's essentially a fanny pack with seatbelt webbing sewn on the sides of the hips. Okay. With a little carabiner. Right. Is and that then, something that you fashioned yourself or yeah, is that okay? No, yeah, it's something that I kind of fashioned it's and then custom made. And then aluminum five foot aluminum poles attached with clamps, plumber's clamps uh-huh. to the frame of the bike trailer. Right. And then I kinda ca- calculated out what I'd need calorie wise, food wise, uh, you know, water, so forth, and I don't know how much it weighed. I'm thinking about fifty pounds <laughs> or so. How was that? Compared to dragging, you know, in the Arctic. I'd rather be in the Arctic. (laughs) Really? Was it was it significantly harder? Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Well, and I hadn't hadn't trained with it. Okay. I just show up. Right. You're like (laughs) I I talk to David Crockett, right? And I'm like, I'm gonna. This is what I want to do. And he's like, Okay. Did somebody else do this with you? Yeah, Chris Anderson, a good friend of mine. He's a local guy too. Yeah. Yeah. Chris is kind of crazy like you are too. Yeah. And uh, we we had a really just really good time, but it was. We di- we ditched those trailers at mm, mile forty for the twenty mile. It was like out ten miles out and back. back. Right. So we ditched them because f- I'm like, there's no reason to carry it no, or smart. pull it. Just leave right. it here. And we grabbed a couple bottles of Ensure, yeah, and some water and whatever, and, and you know, went to the turnaround and, and came back. But that it was pretty rough. I it, it took me a while to recover. <laughs> so what and, was the, like what hurt then? Um. Was that like back sore, hips no, sore? No, I'd I'd, I'd sprained my knee the week earlier. I I went up and did a thirteen thousand foot peak between the Bear and the Pony Express, and yeah. I fell at thirteen thousand, twisting my knee. It was not good. And three days before the race, I was still limping. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Only got a hundred miles pulling. I know. I wake up Tuesday morning and I'm like. 72 hours before the race this is this is not good i'm i'm struggling to get up the stairs right and so i did some physical therapy and uh, it's not gonna do much and 
No. Yeah. Seventy-two hours. Wrapped frame. my knee basically, and but um, I remember at mile at mile. What were we? We were at mile sixty, and Davey comes driving by, and he's like, "You guys missed the cutoff." I'm like what? There's a cutoff? <laughs> like I didn't know there was. He's like, "Yeah, no one's ever finished." <laughs> If they've left here later than midnight and it was like twelve thirty, right? So he's like, "But you guys can go ahead and continue." But just so you know, no one's ever finished. Challenge accepted. Oh, I was like, <laughs> hmm. yeah, we're getting it done, right? Yeah. So um, that I think that's really, really what hurt me the most in recovery was busting out that last roughly forty miles. And I finished in twenty six fifty nine, but I was pretty motivated. Sounds like it. I was pretty motivated, or maybe it was uh, mile sixty eight. I don't remember. I, I didn't really keep track of miles because I had all my stuff. I don't care. Right. <laughs> yeah. What did the check for the things are? Like, I don't. That's just wasted energy. True. I got all the stuff I need right here. Yeah. So I think it was maybe mile sixty eight when he said that. So I think we finished the. I finished the last. 32 miles in seven hours. That's really good. I was Pulling I was, I was a little good. pissed, yeah, actually. Sure. <laughs> I was like, dude, our trailers are getting lighter. Yeah. And I always run the second half Fast. faster. I shouldn't say always, most of the time. Right. But I was pretty hammered when I'd done. I, I, uh, it had been a long year. I mean, that was my eighth hundred and seven months. Right. And I was pretty tired. Because that was the year you did all yeah, seven all the in the U- yeah. in Utah. Yeah, no right. pacers, no crew. That's the way to do it. So that's your that's your because we've done a sh- couple shows on no pacer, no crew, as well as having a pacer and crew. So we've kind of hit both angles. But your your thought or your philosophy is neither. Um, I think pacers can be distracting. I just soon be out just with me, just thinking out. You know, I, I maybe maybe I'm a little too too much of an introvert. So I mean, I and I want to talk to racers. I want to talk to the people out there. Yeah. I want to get to know them and mm-hmm. see what their story is. And 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 uh, so pacers, I don't particularly really like pacers. <laughs> Crews okay, but you just utilize the drop bags. And I just stations. did drop bags only. Yeah. yeah. So I did those seven just drop bags only. No pacers, no crew, and then wanted to do the last one. Just solo, not solo, but just unsupported. Right. And uh, it was. I would encourage people to do more of it. I, I people need. I like just the the adventure side, figuring out like how am I going to do this, and yeah. and it just makes it exciting to me. It's a different level it's, for sure. It's a different. Too. It's a little different. It's not it for is. everyone. No, yeah. I promise. But, um, you know. Come up with new adventures, new new ways of doing things, and get out of your comfort zone. And it was it was a little bit out of my comfort zone because literally I hadn't tried it. I hadn't pulled a cart all <laughs> summer. So we get there, and Chris is like, "You know, these things rarely work, right?" <laughs> <laughs> and the, it was literally at ten o'clock at night. We're hooking up. We're literally getting screwdrivers and pipe clamps and hose clamps and. <laughs> And I'd bought some stuff at Home Depot to to make him one. He had borrowed a trailer, and we're you know uh, putting his thing together. And he's like, "Eric, this this, this usually doesn't work. <laughs> this is there's usually a really bad outcome here." But I'm like, Chris, between us, we have probably 75 years of adventure. Yeah, 
you know, whether it's kayaking or biking or, or canoeing climbing. or climbing or yeah. running or whatever athletic pursuit, we we got this. We got you know, and plus he's an engineer. I mean, he's an engineer. And he's one of the most brilliant guys I've ever met, and he, and he's an MD as well. So I knew that between us we could figure it out, and we we had a blast. Had a had a blast. Had a blast. So what uh, you know, you talked about a little bit earlier in the show and different things. What's kind of on your like, bucket list? I mean, the the thousand Diderot to me would be like the cream of the crop, top of the bucket. But you're like, oh, there's other things I want to do. do, right? Is there anything out? Is there anything that's still motivating you to do it besides it just being awesome? I I've kind of always liked the idea of doing a hundred hundreds. I'm at sixty six. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. So, so yeah. 34 more to go. I mean, more. I have to say the 1,000 counted for 10. Yeah, yeah. So well, for yeah. people like, well, you didn't really do 100 hundreds. Well, I did 1,000. I'd just smack them I and mean, say, yeah, I did 1,000. R- roughly 100 every 60 hours. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if someone's going to say that, it's like, okay, well, you go do the 1,000. Yeah. yeah, then we can talk about it. Yeah, then we can talk about it. And then it. see what and your then, mindset is. Yeah, and then, so, okay, so uh, 10 of those are with the 1,000. Right. But So I'm at 66. Wow. So I'd like to have 100. What do you got planned for this year? I signed up for Bryce Canyon last week. <laughs> and that's what, in three uh, weeks? Like it's four weeks. Four it's weeks Father's yeah. Day weekend. Yeah. The thing is about the thousand is that, you know, a mind once stretched never regains its original dimensions. What they don't tell you is sometimes that's really painful. True. To get your mind stretched. And the more stretching, it's a. It can be a good thing, and most of the time it is a good thing, but it can be emotionally painful and physically painful. You know, when someone asked me on Sunday, uh, we were watching golf, which is wonderful to take a nap to, because the music <laughs> makes you feel like you're in the man from Snowy River riding a horse someplace. And the commentators have got he, the, he's approaching nine. It's, it's a right to left. It's like Ambien. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, let's see. I got my ADD. Uh, what were we? So Sunday, you got Bryce. Oh yeah, 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 so yeah. Bryce. Bryce. Well, no. So the, you know, mine once expanded. It's I got really bored when I got back from the thousand oh. because it's such an amazing experience, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. You learn so many amazing things about yourself and about people and just the universe and where you fit and you think about your successes and your failures and you have a lot of time to think. It helps to put things in perspective so that mind expansion can be really painful, but I was really bored when I got back. Like, just bored. (laughs) And I was thinking about doing salt flats because I actually love that course. I remember talking to Tom Remke's and Corey Johnson. They're like, God, oh, dude, that course is horrible. It's just, oh. And I went and did salt flats two years ago, and I, I love it out there. That's like a jewel of a race. Anyway, um, so I thought about doing that, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm fully recovered after five weeks, or maybe it was four weeks. I don't think that's a good idea because in my heart of heart, I'm like, nah, I don't think you're ready. Because my feet were still kind of numb and my <laughs> hip was still not cooperating fully. And so I didn't sign up for that, but I'm like, I got to do something. I got to have right. a goal. So I signed up for Bryce, which is a great. I mean, yeah. Matt does just, a, yeah. oh, it's a great course. Out yeah. and back, 
one of the most beautiful hundreds around, period. Anybody that's done it, they'll tell you. I mean, Kurt was there doing the one of the races. I can't remember. In 2000. 50 mile. 50 mile, yeah. yeah. It's just awesome. It is. Me and Joel um, are heading down this year, too. Yeah. And then um, I signed up for the bear. Again, I signed up for the bear in, well, I don't know, November. I'm, yeah, ca- I'm, st- I'm starting to get the itch to do Wasatch again. I haven't done it since 2014. And when I, st- when I start missing a race, then I know it's probably time to sign up. If I don't miss it, I don't want to do it. Right. Because then what, what motivates you? I mean, to keep going or keep trying these different things. What's your kind of your ultimate motivator to, to do that? Because it's fun. All right. Yeah. It's just fun. Like, you meet just great people. Chris and I have done three Wasatches together. We've done a couple bears together. We did Pony Express together. Um, and some of the greatest people, my closest friends, are people that I share the trail with. Right. You know, in 2012, I signed up for the Iditarod 350, just more out of a reflex. I didn't even really <laughs> want to be there that year. I, I, So I show up, and I call my daughter before and she's like dad i miss you so much i wish you wish i was there and i'm like oh i shouldn't have called her that was bad super distracting but i got there and i took off and like mile five i'm like nah, this isn't working for me so i went maybe another 20 miles bivied got up and turned around and walked back to the start wow well i mean it just it just wasn't that it's like the trail went silent right and when the trail goes silent, I'm done. That's a good way to do it. You know, when it's not speaking to me, it's not, I don't feel it, I'm done. So as long as the trail speaks, you know, I'm going to be there. But everybody, the trail speaks to people different. You know, it could be the challenge, it could be friends, it could be staying in shape, it could be the the fun of having success after a lot of hard work, it could be the challenge. People have their different motivations. You know, for some people, it might be a spiritual journey, physical, emotional, mental. But when the trail goes silent, I'm done. When I'm not having fun and, you know, I think I'll just won't show up. Or I'll go out five miles and turn around and walk back to my car and drive away and that's it, man. But as long as I'm healthy. Why not? um, I'm 50 now. I don't see that I'm going to slow down anytime soon. I want to go back and do the thousand again, and that would you've done that twice. Once, once, okay. Well, I kind of made a feeble attempt in two thousand seven, but I'd just like to forget about it. It was just I would have never finished. I wasn't emotionally, physically mature enough of an athlete to 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 do it. And you said when you got back this year, like, what is a recovery like from a thousand mile Arctic journey? Because well, we, good question. I there's only I was the fifteenth person ever to have completed the thousand. So four of the four of those have done it two or more times. Wow. Uh, Tom Jardine, uh, also known as Tundra Tom, amazing, great, great guy. He's done it twice. Um, one of the couple things, he lives in P- Pittsburgh though, um, so I don't see him, but I wanted to ask people what their recovery was like because my short-term memory was shot for about two weeks when I got home. Physical stress, mental stress, sleep deprivation, I don't know, all of the above, I'm sure. Right. It was bad. <laughs> get, it was no good. Um, I think mentally it takes a bit to recover, and you kind of have to digest what you just did. From 
a success point of view. Um, that takes a little bit of thought. And then just physically, um, uh, there's just not that many people that have done it. So you've never, I, I'm like, I don't know what recovering from a thousand is. I've never done it. But I think it's about six weeks. Wow. I'm about six and a half weeks out now, I think. And yesterday I did like a 10-mile trail run just here in Ogden. And I felt normal again. Like my balance, my speed, my coordination. I felt the same. Like I did. You're back. Yeah. I, but I think it took like six weeks. Right. You know. Um, 100... I think recovery for me, three weeks done fully, 100%, and probably stronger. Now Two weeks is pushing it. When you right. when you approach a 100-mile race, say it's, you know, the bear this year or whatever, do you go into these with any type of goals? Like, t- I mean, you've done Have fun. Of, yeah, that's your main goal. Yeah. And, and the time I'm is just fun. irrelevant. It's yeah, no. I mean, I kind of have a goal. Like, yeah, it'd be nice to finish in 28 or 29. But that's still secondary to having fun. Because everything else works itself out after that. Everything else works itself out amazingly. Because then you're not pigeonholed into, like, i got to get here by, i got to get to Cali Canyon, or I've got to get to, you know, Brighton at this time. Because then it's almost too rigid. Well, it seems like, too, because I've definitely been there guilty, but it takes energy away from what you're doing stress-wise too because you're focused like you said you run without a watch i think it's better if athletes say i would like to be at brighton between 230 and 315 offer some flexibility give yourself some slack always don't say there i gotta be there by three yeah because then it's too rigid and then you're preoccupied with being there by three so say you know 230 to 330 it's going to about work for me. Right. Give yourself some, some slack. Um, but, yeah, it's still I just think you just have to really enjoy being out there. And don't be in a hurry. There's so many people that leave 100 in a hurry. Walk. Slow down. I've enjoy never had it. a problem with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Enjoy it. Because uh, I guarantee when you start passing people at mile 50 or mile 60, it's you get it's uh it feels good yeah you know and then you've got left in the tank yeah yeah i remember in 2011 at wasatch just after sessions um go through the switchbacks up through the trees and you kind of get out in the open i was hurting bad really really bad and these two yahoos come up behind me and they're making all sorts of noise (laughs) I mean, they're talking loud. They're having a lot of fun. And I was just was hurting. I was mad. And I'm like, God, who are these guys? Here comes Eric and Chris behind me. Serious. <laughs> having the 2011? Best, just having the best time of their lives. And I was so just, just grouchy. I'm like, Arr. and they just blew past me just having the best time. That, I, I've just, that was one of the things that really have stuck in my mind since then. And I, I have never met you. Yeah. But I knew who they were. Oh, yeah. Right? And... So he's speaking the truth. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it in action. Oh, that's cool. Because yeah. you know we um, that's the first. That's where I met Chris in 2010. Yeah, he he went out too fast. Right. I'm like Chris. We got this, buddy. 
Yeah. Like, we got it, dude. You can go under 30. He's yeah. like, oh, I can't, I can't. I'm just too tired. And I'm like, no, you're good. <laughs> yeah. Hang with me. We'll have fun. Yep. And we finished in 28 and change or something. I don't know. That's awesome. But that's right where I met him really, really for the first time to hang out. Yeah. It was right there as you drop down off sessions and yep. then you kind of start to climb back up out. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was a, that was a great year, but it's that kind of fun. Be a kid, be, yeah. be crazy. Take, have a beer at mile 30, take a shot of whiskey. Yeah. Whatever. That, we did that in uh, 2000. What year was that? Todd came down. They had whiskey at a, what checkpoint? Mount Logan at the bear. Right. It's like eight 30. They have a bottle of Jack sitting on the <laughs> table <laughs> with a shot glass. <laughs> I, I miss that every time I've done okay. the Yeah, you got to – well, I, I'm not sure. Maybe maybe, I gotta find maybe that they right didn't person. get invited back or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it's like be crazy. So we took – you know, be silly. Have fun. Good time. Don't take it too serious. I think that's a great way to end. Yeah. yeah. Right? And and I know just from what we've done, we're definitely going to have you back on the show. We're gonna oh, I'd love to. Yeah, because it's uh, – We can talk about all sorts of topics. Oh, yeah, because you've, you've – I mean, just what you've done, and it's kind of interesting. I've had conversations even with Curtis is just how – and maybe this isn't the best way. You kind of fly under the radar because you're not, like, active on social media and all right. these things. It's like people know, like, who you are, but I – I knew who you were. I mean, my friend Scott Jaime. Oh yeah, um, I love Scott. Yeah, he he uh, paced me in two thousand and three. Yeah. At Wasatch. Well, you're the one that got him into this pretty much, and he's the one that got me into this. So, and so I've known about you for so long, and I didn't know the extent of it until I went online and I started doing some research. I'm like, oh my gosh, he you you've done it all. Like literally, the yeah. race is all over the country, the big ones. So. Um, to have you on the show and some of the stuff you're you're bringing to us is kind of fresh and new. Far as just enjoy it, you know, be in the moment and and all these things. And I know a lot of people are going to get stuff from this, and I know we're going to get more questions. So we definitely want to get you back on the show for yeah, sure. Yeah, the other sure. thing is, you know, set a goal, make a goal, set, make a goal, and you know, and I've I've mentioned this when I was at Gear Thirty a couple weeks ago. You know, the, we all know that they're important. Um, but I think it's worth reiterating that it creates structure out of chaos because all the stuff we do all day is chaos. We have cell phones, we have bosses, we have spouses, we have kids, we have all the demands and it's chaos. But when you create a goal and a, and a plan to reach the goal, it, it, it makes chaos less chaotic and creates structure. And it gives you a sense of purpose and a destination. Right. So important. So important. Well, I know Joel, he just started being more structured with his training. And he's crushing it right now, too. So, Well, let's not go that far <laughs> and say I'm crushing it. I'm, I'm feeling better than I have in a long time. How's that? <laughs> that's, but, that's all it takes. Yeah. So. Anyway, you know, I think, uh, I think that's just really important to, to, know, to, to know what a goal is, but to, right. to maybe understand what it does is better. Yeah, but anyway. Well, yeah, and we'll we'll definitely uh, on on the website and on all our social stuff. I'm, it sounds like we'll probably you'll probably be back at Gear Thirty doing another engagement you sometime know, in July. Sometime in okay. July, we'll definitely you know make sure put that, that out there you know we put that so people don't miss that. Um, but we can't thank you so much. It's your day off, so thanks for taking yeah, the time to welcome. join us today. It's been it's, it's been a pleasure for us. It's literally been an honor to hear you talk and yep. hear what you've done. It's. It's motivational. I mean, I want to go out and run right now, and I brought my flip-flops, so <laughs> I might do the Tara Hamara method. So. But thanks for joining us. We'll have you back on, and, uh, yeah, I hope to hear from you again. Thank you. All right.
Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Trail Manners Podcast. We'd like to thank Eric Johnson for taking the time to join us today. What an amazing show. So much insight, so much information. I personally hope I can take a lot of that with me. Um, Thank you so much, Eric, for joining us. And thank you. We hope you all enjoyed our show. Uh, We'd like to encourage you to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Trail Manners or swing by our website at trailmanners.com. We have a contact page. Let us know what you want to see, who you want to hear, or even if you want to be on our show. So until next time, this is Eric Manning with Joel Hatch reminding you, you don't get what you wish for, you get what you work for. Now go get it.